Welcome, everyone, to another edition of the Sports Cafe. My name is Ian Gus, host for this week. Joined alongside our, uh, we've got a full cast back together again, reunited for the first time in, I think, over a month. Mike Weil, Mike Mandel, and Adam Rosen. Uh, we're excited to be back with you all as we uh, dive into all things NBA Finals and also MLB All-Star Game. Going to take a look back at the first half and and a look forward. Uh, tonight's show might be a little bit shorter, so uh, you'll you'll know the runtime before we do. But we are glad to be back again, and uh, I guess we'll we'll get right into it and and start with the NBA Finals. I know the the big baseball news today is a, unfortunately another COVID outbreak with the Yankees, so we can talk more about that a little bit later. But wanted to start with the NBA Finals and uh, we have a series after the Suns starting uh, winning the first two games at home last night the uh, Bucks tied the series at two Giannis and company defended home court now we're going to game five and uh, in Phoenix with the series tied and it's been in a very interesting series I don't know if you'd call it a memorable series but at least we're going to see at least six games hopefully seven and uh, why don't, Adam, why don't you start it off? Um, we haven't talked in a while and, and wanted to kind of get your overall thoughts on the series so far. And it's, it's obviously taken a turn the last two games. What, what has really stood out for you and, and what are the highlights? Well, first of all, I have to give you some props for the intro music, the Space Jam, which, fun fact, I believe that was my intro song for senior year in college at WBRS. Yeah, it, it was so, your um, song. Of course, the Game Space Circle. Jam movie coming out this weekend, so maybe we can do a little preview, a little, uh, or a little um, recap episode at some point. But um, as far as the finals are concerned, uh, I've been surprisingly entertained. I mean, I know we, we spoke a while back about concerns over not having a, a villain in the finals, a, a team to really root against, but I think it's also been kind of fun seeing the emergence of, of Devin Booker and obviously Giannis's stardom on display so that's been um, that's been fun to watch um, I think both teams are, are pretty likable I know a lot of people maybe not so much Chris Paul and his flopping and whatever but um, I've loved the series so far I think Chris Middleton deserves a lot of credit I think for many years he was kind of looked at as Giannis's sidekick and and maybe a little bit of an underachiever though he has been he, he has been a multi-time all-star but he has really put the team on his back from a scoring perspective and he's essentially been the go-to guy late in games so Middleton has really stepped up and then Giannis who it looked like was being a little bit exposed earlier in the playoffs as far as um, you know shooting free throws and and behind the three-point line has really stepped it up for a guy who you know we thought uh, might have torn his ACL. I think the last podcast we did, um, Giannis went down with the injury and we were all concerned. Uh, he's had an incredible finals. I mean, I read a stat that Giannis now has more career 40-point finals games 
than Kobe, KD, and Kawhi Leonard. And he's tied with Dwayne Wade. So I know he's got two 40-point games, but just to put that into context, uh, where he stands against other greats, um, you know, he's, he's right there in just this one series. So really, really impressive. Um, and 2-2 going to game five, I mean, you, you can't ask for, for much more than that. Yeah, I mean, the, the first three games weren't exactly competitive. Last night was by far the best of the series. It, it you know, came down to the last two minutes of the fourth quarter. I think the, the Suns were up, um, Mike Weil. As you've been kind of keeping track of this series, and I know we haven't heard from you in, in a little while. I, I know you missed the last podcast, and we've all been off for a couple of weeks. So has this been playing out as you expected, or, or kind of what are your thoughts as we head into uh, a game five later this week? So... Honestly, it's not playing out how I expected because after Phoenix won the first two games in Phoenix and the way that Giannis's supporting cast looked, I was thinking, well, this may be a short series. But given what Giannis and I think, as you mentioned, Adam, Chris Middleton is the key because if you can get the scoring you're getting from him and the offensive contributions you're getting from other pieces like Brooke Lopez, like Drew Holiday. Pat Connaughton had a great, Connaughton, excuse me, had a great game last night. Um, the, the Bucks have really stepped up, and I thought after the first two games in Phoenix, it wasn't looking too good for them. I'm surprised by the result of game three after how the Bucks looked, but I was not surprised by the result last night. I thought that because the Bucks took game three, momentum was more on their side. They were gonna be home. And it'll be interesting to watch now as the series shifts back to Phoenix how the Bucks respond to the road crowd, how the how Giannis responds, even though he's made light of it with the counting at the free throw line. It clearly got to him because his free throw percentage on the road was much worse than his free throw percentage in these two games. And also you want to see how Middleton, Holiday, and the rest of the Bucks respond. I mean, you... Like, Bobby Portis is an awesome energy player, and the Bucks fans love him. They're chanting his name every two seconds. And a guy like that feeds off the crowd. So when you have a negative energy coming from the crowd, it may impact the Bucks' role player's performance more than a Giannis. Because Giannis, as you guys both mentioned, has been unbelievable. Like, he's... This is one of the more impressive finals performances in recent memory that I can that I can think of. I mean, Le- LeBron's had a few. Steph, you know, during the, the Warriors run had a few, but Giannis really is the guy. Without Giannis, the Bucks have no chance. So th- this is really like vintage when you had a star player in the finals type performance that you needed the guy to carry your team, and Giannis is doing it. It's been awesome to watch, and I'm really happy for him. I mean, I'm rooting for the Bucks. I know the Suns have never won, but... The Bucks are like the quintessential underdog NBA story, and, and you have Giannis staying in Milwaukee. I hope he gets rewarded for it. And the Suns will have their time, but I think this is the year for the Bucks. If they're going to do it, 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 it has to be this year. You know, it's funny. I remember, um, I guess probably a decade ago, when the two clear worst teams in the NBA, it was it was the Bucks and it was the Knicks. And I just remember, like, the Bucks were just so awful. And to think that, you know, you draft the right superstar who by the way was not a top 10 pick i think he was like 15th or something 
you build around him and and you've got a, a championship caliber squad um you know it just goes to show you you build a franchise the right way and this can happen but i think Giannis, i mean he is everything you could want in a superstar in a face of the league and i think the fact that he decided to re-sign in milwaukee makes him that much more likable and you've seen how many stars have we seen who the second things go south um, they, they, they jump ship. And last year, you know, he, he could have done that. They got swept by Miami, which was a surprise to everybody except Mike Mandel. Um, you know, and everybody was saying, well, you know, is he going to stay? Is he going to demand that they bring in another guy? And, and, you know, he re-signed without knowing who was coming in, who was going out. Um, and sure enough, it's, it's paid off here. So I think it's a great story. Um, you know, it's just so rare in the NBA these days to see guys stay on the team for their whole career so you know hopefully we get that with Giannis but I think it would be the ultimate reward to see them win a championship after he chose to be loyal to the city he's a very easy guy to root for uh let's not forget his defense the big block he had last night on Aiden I think that would have tied the game I know there's been a lot of discussion about is it a better block than LeBron's a few years ago? That was in Game Seven, so I don't know about that. A little, but, a little different circumstance, but yeah. But in terms of the the athleticism of you know Aiden is what seven two seven three to to block his shot to to get beat and then to come back on that. It was just unbelievable to see. And I think Mike Mandel. The other piece is neither of these teams really has much depth. I mean, they're basically playing you know seven maybe eight guys. Um, you know. Holiday, Wild mentioned, but he also shot four for twenty from the field. So they really are leaning heavily on their superstars, and and we haven't really talked too much about Booker yet. But Mike, kind of what stands out for you, and you know, is Booker living up to expectations, or or is it just really the Giannis show? Well, well, well for one, I think uh, I think a lot of people underestimated how exciting these finals would be, and I, I get it. We're talking about two media market teams. Um, you know, both of whom are fairly new to the finals. Um, well, very new to the finals as far as current teams go. Um, but it's uh, it's been surprisingly exciting. And, and this is also one of the few series in this entire playoffs where you actually have seen home court advantage. You saw the Suns come out to, to blow out wins in, in games one and two. And I think, as Mike said, that you might have been looking at a pretty short series at that point. But the Bucks came roaring back. Um they come back and they crush the Suns in Game Three out of a strong second half performance. And in Game Four, you know, Suns were leading most of the way, but Bucks have a strong fourth quarter to close. Um, and yeah, I feel like both sides have really put on the show. Um, with the Bucks, they, they've they've really seized this opportunity. I, I don't think that coming into this playoffs, I don't think they, they saw any chance whatsoever that they would be lucky enough to get the Hawks and home court advantage in the conference finals. I, I don't think they expected that at all. And I think when they found that out, they, they said they, they were going to take full advantage of that. They knew they were the favorites, and they were going to bury the Hawks, and that's exactly what they did in the last round. Um, and, of course, they were fortunate enough that the Nets were not fully healthy. Um, Nets have had conditioning problems throughout the season, and um, they obviously played them as close as possible, up to, up to you know, overtime at the buzzer but even there I think the the Bucks got ahead when they were initially the underdogs so they're taking advantage Giannis is is clearly shining in his first finals opportunity Uh, Chris Middleton has been ridiculous Um, he he is no longer the Robin in the Batman and Robin show at least not in this finals it hasn't been that way at all Um, he didn't do much in games two and three though I mean he had a great game one and then obviously last night with the career high 40 Uh, I feel like his game three was still pretty solid though 
I mean, yeah, last night's when he really came out, but you know, he. I mean, you could you could you could make that argument that he's still the Robin, but <laughs> I, I think nonetheless they they need him to they need him to be the guy, you know, and and if it keeps they up need that consistency, yeah, that they've seen in in a couple of games. Yeah, well, and if he keeps that up, then they're going to be in very good shape. But listen, the Suns have, have looked hot too. Um, Booker, he said, you know, safe for Game Three. That, that, that was clearly a pretty bad shooting game for him, but otherwise he's had a great series, um, especially being so young and this easily being the, um, you know, the highest exposure basketball he's played. Um, Chris Paul, you know, you can you can say he's been a little bit less than stellar this series, but I still think his veteran know-how has helped. Um, you know, yeah, he hasn't been the scorer that he's been in the past, but I feel like as a point guard, he's still done his part. Um, and listen, Aiton coming in really big. Um, he's actually only six eleven, so he's playing a lot bigger. I didn't realize he's he not seven feet. He looks, yeah, he, <laughs> at least seven um, feet. He plays big. That's the thing. He plays a lot bigger than he looks. And I, uh, I'm going to continue to be pissed that Michael Bridges is on the Suns instead of the Sixers. It's got to be one of the stupidest trades in history, and the Suns are benefiting from that big time. And by the I way, think, uh, De- Devin ahead, Booker has officially reached. Uh, superstar status, given that he played the fourth quarter with seven fouls. Um, <laughs> I don't know if you guys saw that. that there yeah, the I was gonna. Ooh. I was just gonna mention that that the the refs helped the Suns a little bit last game because that you, there's no definition of foul where that's not a foul where he grabbed him. And the ref even admitted it after the game, which you yeah. don't see often. It's but to to Mike, your point. The Suns have more depth than the Bucks, at least even in the top half of their roster. They have guys that are established now in big games that you can go to, and, and Middleton's getting to that point, but Chris Paul, Devin Booker, DeAndre Ayton, that big three beats the Bucks three of Giannis, even though Giannis is the best player in this finals, Middleton and Drew Holiday. But but that's why Middleton is so huge, that the Bucks do not have enough firepower to match the Suns if Middleton is just average. If the Bucks are going to win the series, Middleton has to play like he did in, in Game 4 and in Game was it Game 1. So if Middleton doesn't play well, the Bucks aren't going to win. Like, well, I think the, you could say the same about, about Aiden. I mean, Aiden I last night had so. six points. It, it, I, I don't need Aiden to score. He can't score six right. points, especially he, if Chris Paul is only scoring ten. I mean, yeah, but you know what? I think he could play most of the D. You saw in, in game one, Bridges Bridges had a huge game, and you just knew they weren't going to get that level of offensive output. So I think when he kind of came back down to earth and then Chris Paul gives you 10 points, you know, it's like where else are you getting the scoring from besides for Booker? I mean, Booker scored 42 points, but there's just not a lot, a lot of other options well, there. Saying, like neither team has right. that much consistent depth. It's You right. kind of get these spurts. And I guess you could say Middleton. Like Crowder, you still have Crowder on the side. Like if you go player for player, the Suns have more talent than the Bucks, yes. like, like roster-wise. They, they do. It's indisputable, I think. That yeah. Well, with, the with the guys Suns, that are starting healthy, five is yeah. better. Like, there's no doubt. The, on a daily basis... The Suns don't need the same two guys to carry the load because there are other guys right, that can randomly get hot. The the Bucks, if they don't get it from Giannis or Middleton, they don't have the depth or the players that have the ability to score so that you can rely on like 
a Bryn Forbes or a Connaughton or wh- whoever is a role Brooke player. Lopez is not going to go right? off like, for 30 Lopez points. is shooting threes. <laughs> yeah. He's not making them. It's Conn- Connaughton is – how about this for an analogy? Connaughton and Mike Wild might be the one that gets us. Uh, Patrick Connaughton is the John Weldon of the Milwaukee Bucks, but probably not a great p- comparison because I believe Connaughton has like a top five vertical in the NBA, believe it or not. I know he's been yeah, he, primarily shooting the three, but he's, he's a, athletic. He can jump out of the gym. Yeah. yeah. Don't but, tell um, him short. <laughs> just a um, double-double last night. Yeah, you know. Yeah, he, he had a huge game for sure. But um, get, getting away from the a little bit of the game analysis, have we talked about Suns and Four Guy on the podcast? Did we mention that? Oh, God. I, okay, and this is another reason why I, I feel like you have to root for Milwaukee. I don't understand why this Suns and Four guy has become a hero in Phoenix. Look, I get it. There's a video where clearly the Nugget fans were instigating. They poured beer on him. They were, whatever, giving him the business. Um, and, yeah, he defended himself. I think he, he he took it a little bit far. I don't think he needed to throw the punches that he did. But, like, to glorify... Um, basically punching this guy out and like for Devin Booker to be sending him a jersey and giving him tickets and this guy's doing autograph signings they've got a Suns and Four um, action figure that they're selling I just I don't understand that I, and I'm surprised that you know the, the the team has gotten involved as far as like promoting the Suns and Four thing but um, to me like look you know they poured beer on him that's wrong like you know, he defended himself, but I think he took it way too far, and I just, I don't understand the hype around him. I really don't. Well, in his defense, he's just trying to make a business or whatever cottage uh, Look, I don't blame him. If there, hey, if there's a market it, for his services, I mean, the guy's, the guy's hosting a Suns and Four after party in Phoenix. Yeah, People are it's paying not money his to fault. Go he has a bobblehead now. I don't understand now. it. I'm giving, yeah. I, I give him credit. I mean, it's cringeworthy, but I give him <laughs> credit for trying, and, but I do think it definitely makes you want to root for the Bucks for it gives you another reason, and I love the Bucks and Six chant because it's sort of like a rebuttal to the Suns and Four guy, which it's not possible yeah. now. It's uh, it seems to me like it's a 15 minutes of fame type thing. Right, it's I mean, it's gone on a little bit more than 15 so, minutes though. Well, this is like, a, you know, like it'll, a month. it'll die down. I don't yeah. know. It's you know something. Maybe they think it's a good luck charm. Although they should probably find something else now. Yeah. So yeah. So it's it's definitely been an interesting series, and I think the last topic we wanted to discuss is kind of what do we see happening next? We have Game Five, I believe it's Saturday night, right? Saturday, Tuesday, Thursday. Um, two out of three will be in Phoenix. So, Mike Weil, who do you give the advantage to at this point? Well, I still have to give the advantage to the Suns because it's two of three in Phoenix, so they have the home court advantage. I think that they're more talented, but. The momentum is definitely with the Bucks, so I'm rooting for the Bucks. I hope they win. I hope that they prove me wrong. But it, it, obviously, if the Bucks win Game Five, then it's a completely different story, and the Bucks will probably close it out at home. But given that the Suns have two games, I think that they have the better roster. You have to go with Phoenix. You yeah. agree, Adam? I, 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 oh, go ahead, Mike. I, I think the only question for me is what's going on with Chris Paul. I mean, I know we've praised him a bit but it's also he's got a lot of mileage on him and you know he was out and all that if he can't kind of bounce back i think that's going to be i'm not worried i i think that he'll he'll get up for it's the nba finals game five i think that when you go up to nothing even though it's chris paul he's a veteran the tendency to just go full throttle isn't there as much and and now that it's tied it might ignite him again the way it did and 
the first two games. Mike? Yeah, I mean, home court advantage matters in this series. Um, and Chris Paul was on fire during both the Phoenix's home games. So I, I definitely think it's going to go seven because I think that the way it's going to play out is each of the teams will win their remaining home games. It's going to be very exciting to the finish, but I think the Suns are still going to take it. Um, I'll be eating crow if I'm wrong. Adam, are you going to be the contrarian? Or are we all going to Well, Ian, Ian you've got Suns. I have to lean Suns. I was trying to look up who's actually favored. I assume it's the Suns, but it's it's tough to pick the team after they just lost two in a row. Yeah. But I guess I'd have to take Phoenix just because of yeah. Well, I'm surprised. Yeah, I think we're, we're all in the same direction here. I, I mean, I'm rooting for Milwaukee, but I, Phoenix has looked so good at home. Um, you know, M- Milwaukee definitely got a boost going back home, but the, uh, Phoenix is is the more talented team. They've got more scoring options. Um, I'm not concerned about Chris Paul. I think uh, there's actually an extra day of rest. I think they've they've got three days um, till till game five. So a little extra rest there for him. So I, I'm going to take the Suns in seven. Um, should be a great series. Look, if it gets to seven, I mean, anything goes in a game seven. But I, I do think that Phoenix has got a little bit more talent. Um, they looked a little bit more uh, dominating in their wins versus Milwaukee's wins, which were a little bit tighter uh, games. So I'll go with Phoenix, but hopefully I'm wrong. I'd love to see Giannis, uh, Giannis win and, and have his loyalty rewarded. But um I do think it'll go seven. And I do think whenever we all agree on something, it's much more likely to be the <laughs> okay. alternative. So that's for football. That's for football. That's when's what, the, uh, that's, yeah, when's the championship happens. parade in Milwaukee? <laughs> so anyway, we will keep an eye on the finals. Our next podcast may be after it's over or not. But either way, we will discuss all things NBA as we head towards the shortened offseason. I think they, they have confirmed they're starting back again in October, I assume. I don't know if I've seen that for sure, but back so, to the yeah. 82 yeah. games. So it'll be a short turnaround for those teams and uh, playing more NBA topics in the future, but wanted to spend the, the rest, probably the rest of the podcast on MLB. And uh, why don't we start with uh, what happened earlier this week? And that was the home run derby on Monday night. Um, I, I assume we all watched it. I think the home run derby, I don't know if it outrated the all-star game itself, but I know the ratings um, were better year over year. The home run derby in a way has you know, become like the slam dunk contest of yep. what the slam dunk contest used to be for the NBA. There's so much excitement around it. Um, this year, the pace was even faster than ever. They didn't have to wait for the balls to land. So it was, in my opinion, a bit frenetic, but I guess people like that. Uh, Adam, your, your man, uh, yes, Pete sir. Alonzo, I guess you can call him Back to back, even though it's a back. three-year time period, but well, it's still back to he was yeah, one consecutive was, uh, uh, yeah, titles. And he was, uh, I think that was a big surprise. Everyone had Otani. There was some Joey Gallo love. I think was the second most likely. But you think people uh, were really surprised? I I didn't hear people picking Alonzo. I don't I don't know for whatever reason. Um, I think there's not so many back-to-back champions. Maybe that was part of it, but. Um, Adam, what were your overall thoughts on the Derby besides enjoying, I assume, uh, the finals and the winner? Um, you know, was this kind of a standout year for you or was it, you know, was it just kind of a, another Derby in, in a line of many? Yeah, I mean, I think it's clear to say that the Derby is back. Um, I remember a few years ago when people were talking about, oh, maybe we should just get rid of the home run Derby. And I think this new format has, has clearly been a game changer. I mean, to go from the the 10 outs where you've got guys taking pitches and, and all that to just the 
three minutes of nonstop with a, with a timeout in there. Uh, I think it's perfect. Um, you know, if you think it's too long, I suppose you could maybe cut it down to two minutes. But I think they've they've nailed the format. Um, you know, as far as the the, the bracket is concerned, uh, we never really we didn't have any controversy with that. But I feel like that that could be an issue where if you get you know a guy who has a really good output, but he goes against someone who well, is a little bit Perez, better. the first round. Uh, yeah, yeah, I guess that's true. Um, you know, I guess that, you know, could come back to bite you at some point. But as far as the, the pace of the derby, and it's funny because they're they, they're trying so hard to figure out, okay, how do we, how do we improve the, the the pace of the actual games, which they've been trying for years to figure out and they can't do it. But with the derby itself, uh, it seems like they've really hit the nail on the head. There's not 30 seconds between pitches like there are in regular baseball. <laughs> right, so it's, rapid it shows fire. That that's what people like. Um, yeah, I mean, I I would agree. The one thing is, I, I'm not really understanding why it has to be head to head until you know you get later on. Why not just take the top four into the second round? That seems more fair. I guess they're seeding it based on home runs. Yeah. During the I guess season. that that and that would make it what it is with the three point shootout. So that's actually probably right. a better idea. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, Mike Mandel, what did you watch? What did you think of the Derby? I, I did, and I, I generally echo your sentiments, and I. I feel like the head-to-head is even somewhat recent. I, I, I would like the idea of just dropping the bracket and taking the top four, advancing the round two. But otherwise, it was, it was great. I, I mean, I love the new format, having it timed instead of just having yeah the, the 10 outs and them taking whatever pitches they want. Um, I think it's great. Um, I even think the three-minute time window is perfect. I, I think it's... Uh, you know, it's it's short enough that you don't get impatient, but it's also long enough that you, you really give guys a chance to, to stretch their arms a bit. Um, so, very exciting. Um, and, and I'll tell you, the one thing I would do personally is um, when, when you look at extra innings of regular games, yeah, I would replace, like, get rid of the runner on second and, you know, may, maybe wait till 11 or 12 innings to do this, but replace that with the home run derby. <laughs> that, that's what I would do. Oh, I think it would be a lot more fun. I'm not gonna lie, Mike. I like that better than what they have now. If that, if 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 it's got to be one of those two, I'm going with your idea. And by the way, Ian, that's a great idea that you. I I don't. I'm surprised I didn't think of that. But that like they really should just scrap the bracket and and do you know, the just. I mean, everybody hits obvious. and then they. Like, I, yeah, right. that's. And they're what trying I, to build up like a rivalry or right, but it's not. Uh, it's. It doesn't, it doesn't make sense. Matter. I I think the exact I guess same maybe thing. it's kind of like it's kind of like the spirit of fantasy baseball where you go you know you're going head to head even though like you know you kind of get the same it's, thing. The home run yeah. derby should be top four guys advance. You could have the same. The format's good. I agree with you guys. I like the format. Yeah. I think that Pete Alonso was underestimated because no one understood the prowess of Dave Jouse's batting <laughs> practice pitching ability. Yes, the consistent this man was like a machine. If you look, Pitching Ninja had a graphic, a heat map of where he threw the ball and where Pete Alonso homered. It literally, the middle of the plate, every single pitch was the middle of the plate, and there's yeah. a great overlay of four straight pitches and four straight home runs for Pete Alonso, and the balls are like a perfect linear formation down his bat. Like, they form a straight line down the barrel of his bat. It was... Big shout out to Dave Joss. I know probably in New York it's getting a lot of attention. Nationally, he's being talked about a lot. But I think that if people realize that, it, because it does make a difference, the the pitcher makes a huge difference. Because you look yeah. at Otani, he was constantly getting lower pitches. 
and he can't elevate that as well, and he was hitting line drives. And the, so and the pitcher matters more now that it's not the ten outs because in the exactly. past they, and it was more boring, so, but they'd wait for the perfect pitch. So this is a question I have: that do you think that it would be better? I know that it's never going to happen, and it's less fun, and I don't want it to happen. But really, to have a truly fair home run derby. I think that there should be a pitching machine or something to objectively. No. Obje- I know it's not going to happen because it's you not have to choose fun. your own pitcher. I, know, I don't the, want it to happen. I'm not saying. For I'm every just asking because you you take out that variable because it truly. But but I guess you can. I think the pitcher should get something. Is what I'm saying. The the, the pitcher deserves some Probably credit they do. too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, a lot I think Dave Jowis got a lot of it. a lot of hype there. But uh, another thing that I loved, I'm sure you guys noticed the. Uh, the home run derby chain, the like the spit, the yeah. spinorama chain that he got, that and that fun. kind of, I mean, that stuff is, that's what appeals to the younger audience, right? You're talking about growing the game, you know, that's the kind of stuff that that the young fans love to see. It's that, it's the the Fernando Tatis glasses, the the arm sleeves, the necklaces, the chains, like that's like you want to grow the game, like that's the kind of stuff that you want to promote that you know makes the game young and fun and exciting. So I was that was kind of fun to see. I'm glad that. I'm glad that he brought that out. I think he had it, you know, two years ago for the for the Derby as well. But I thought that was a really nice touch there at the end. Basically, make it more like the NBA, right? Yeah, some more personality. And and um, Alonso just seems so relaxed compared to everyone else, dancing along, singing, and you know, so many of these guys are just so in the zone. Or I don't know if it's because they've never done it before. Some guys getting winded. I don't know, Alonso. Maybe it's because he was there before. But there's been plenty of guys trying to defend who can't do it. So. Lots of credit to, to Pete Alonzo. Yeah. But, th- but this new format is very new. Like, this is a very... I, th- this is really... The more I think about it, this is really, like, the way to go. I mean, before, when you're, like, waiting for the right pitch, like, it it was just so long and boring. Like, yeah, this is, I like, don't... rapid fire, easier to get into a rhythm. The only thing I... And maybe it was just me, but I didn't love... And I know there was some controversy because they used to have to wait until the ball landed and some pitchers weren't waiting. So I understand why they got rid of it, but it was almost too rapid fire where like you had to follow the ball. He was swinging at the next pitch yeah. and sometimes it was just a little too chaotic for me, but not for others. So I'll, yeah. you know, I'll, I'll just have to deal with that. <laughs> they might have to do so split anyway, screen going forward. Yeah, the split screen and they had the measurements and all that. So it was definitely a fun derby. And then the next night we had the all-star game itself and uh, Shohei Otani, I, I guess we can talk about him a little bit we've, we've mentioned him but definitely the star of the show leading off pitching obviously in the home run derby uh fox gave lots of time to otani some might say maybe a little too much but the uh the al ended up winning again i think it's eight years in a row and they've just been dominant over the last what 25 years or so I think they've, yeah they've won it like th- the national league has won it like three times i think and yeah there was like a long streak and the nl won a couple and now it's like the al again so um you know obviously now the game doesn't count so it doesn't really matter um but mike mandel what were your takeaways from the all-star game so it, it was it was a fun game to watch and it was a little more fun than, than i might have expected too um for one i felt like the pacing was actually pretty good here um maybe it's because they, they already knew somewhat ahead of time when pitchers were going in um so they were able to pace that quite well. Um, my Phillies, they did everything they could, so I can't complain there. He had Real Muto, who hit the solo homer to get the uh, the NL on the board. And then I feel like Zach Wheeler got the shaft. He only got one batter, but he threw three strikes. So, 
I, I can't complain there, but um, does it surprise me that the AL keeps up their streak? No, because as long as they have the DH and the NL doesn't, that's what's going to happen. I'm not, you know, we, we could always have that debate on the DH another day. I know we've already had that a lot, and we'll continue to have it, but I think they'll always have that advantage if, if you know, given that they have the DH, because they simply have more better hitters in their league than, than the NL does. Um, but listen, there were there were stars on both sides. Um, for one, Vladdy Guerrero Jr. Um, had, had a monster home run. Um, also had that nice-looking glove, too. Um, you, you had Otani, who I, I, I think... You know, probably would have asked for a better uh, hitting bout during uh, during the game, but um, he, he pitched the the solid first inning for the AL. Um, I, I I do think it's quite remarkable that you know you have a guy who's as good as he is on both sides of the plate, especially in the AL when pitchers are used to simply not hitting. Um, and, and then when the uh, the NL had the bases loaded in the eighth with two outs, um, you had Walsh come in, Jared Walsh, and make a great catch that probably saved at least a double and, and two to three RBI. So if it wasn't for that, um, I think the NL would have had a real shot at, at making it competitive, even more competitive. So um, fun game overall. Um, you know, hopefully it's uh, it's just as fun next year. How about for you, Adam? What, what, what stood out? I love the All-Star game. I think the MLB All-Star game is is my favorite of of all the sports. Uh, I think it's just cool getting to see, you know, a lot of the the batter-pitcher matchups that you don't typically get, you know, in the regular season. Within our league now, it happens occasionally, but, you know, a lot of these are are, are pretty rare. Uh, What stood out to me, I guess, on the negative side, I mean, you, you get so many players opting out, which makes it tough. I mean, I understand from the pitchers, like, certain guys they just you know you can't risk it or if they pitched the but Sunday in the before, past they would still show up and, and yeah I, I think for me it was kind of like i looked at the national league starting lineup and i'm like oh god there's there's two guys on the pittsburgh pirates that are starting and for me that was kind of like whoa like maybe like something's a little bit off here like there should not be two guys on the pirates that are, that are in the starting lineup that, that nobody really wants to see so yeah i, I don't know i you know it, it's disappointing to see that so many guys opt out. I know all the Astros, um, you know, abandoned uh, ship for what, whatever reasons. So, um, you know, I'd like to see them figure out a way to get all those guys on the field. But as far as the game itself, um, I thought it was great. I thought the Otani coverage was was well deserved. I mean, he's a extremely rare breed, and I think the sport should be do every, doing everything possible to promote a guy like him. Uh, the last comment I would have, which I don't know if one of you was going to mention, is just to talk about the uniforms. I know there's yeah, been a lot of say that. conversation about that, and typically they have the All-Star Game uniforms, which are always worn for the, the Sunday and Monday festivities, and then they wear the, the regular jerseys for the game, which I like that better. Um, I think this year's uniforms itself were particularly hideous, um, but I think just in general it's 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 – you know, Major League Baseball has this rule where everybody needs an all-star. So I think if you're going to do that, you know, you got to have them in their in their regular jersey so that people can see them. It's a way to, you know, individualize a little bit. I think it's fine if they want to make them wear custom all-star game caps, you know, and still wear the team's regular jerseys. But to, to go the full uniform, and I know it's to sell jerseys. I don't know who's buying those jerseys, but uh, to me, I'd, I'd like to see them go back to the old way, although I'd be stunned if it happens. I hated it because the coolest thing about the All-Star game in my mind is you see the uniforms next to each other. 
And I always loved seeing the different teams represented on the field at the same time because it's tradition. It's 90 years of, of tradition. And to have that just taken away from the fans, a lot of negative reaction I saw on Twitter about that. And then today they were saying they're going to make the jerseys for next year to be the, the same thing where they'd have like a, a uniform for the all-star game, which fine. If you want to have it for the home run derby, great. Or the batting practice session. Great. But what is going on in the all-star team picture? Everyone's wearing their individual uniform and it looks really cool. So it's a big mistake by major league baseball. I think they should definitely change it. My second thought is also to the point about Shohei Otani it's amazing to me what he's doing. I know he didn't have a, a great performance hitting-wise in the All-Star game, but like he was in the home run derby, he's pitching, and everyone makes a comparison to Babe Ruth. I think it's apples and oranges. You can't compare one to the other. But the notable thing to me was that I, I didn't realize this, that, that Babe Ruth really didn't pitch at all when he was a Yan- like During the second half of the career, his career, when he was a prolific hitter, he he didn't pitch, um, and so Otani is doing both at the same time, and and both at a very high level. So we have not seen anything like him, and I was really glad to see it, basically, be the Shohei Otani show that he was a centerpiece. And and baseball needs stars; they need marketable stars. And you see, a guy who is international has has already established himself obviously in japan for a long time but but to grow the game i thought it was really cool to to that point about otani being an international superstar you had the winning pitcher for the american league be japanese otani you had liam Hendricks, my man who they put on a hot mic which i was absolutely stunned when i heard that he was mic'd up that was that was just a for me, it was hilarious. It was fun. It was like pay-per-view waiting to happen. But I'm like, you got 10-year-olds watching this game. You shouldn't be hearing his language because it's known that he's a crazy person on the mountain, which is great if you're and close. And I can't believe they didn't. Beep, they like, didn't. They, didn't, they weren't prepped to beep it. And how does how do you get a pitcher to agree right. to wear a bike exactly. while he's it's, on the mound? It's, That's, it's I give crazy. him credit for agreeing. They were asking him questions before he was throwing. But nevertheless, Australian. The, the I, players that were Mike, Mike though, that was, that was awesome. By yeah, the way. it was. That was... Uh, Chris Bryant and uh, Tatis, like that. That's it was that's fun. really cool. But I like it. To yeah. my point, the Japanese guy got the win. Australian guy got the save, and uh, Guerrero's Dominican. He he won the MVP. So you had three international stars. And um, the the one thing I was most disappointed about being a homer, Tim Anderson didn't get in at bat, and he's been leading the American League in average over the course of the last three years. If you were to take an aggregate, so. He should have gotten that bat. But otherwise, I thought that the game was awesome. They need to go back to the regular uniforms, though, because it's a disgrace that you don't have the 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 different uniforms next to each other. I was very disappointed by that. But the game is in great hands. I, I love that you have young stars, Otani, Tatis, Guerrero. You'll see Luis Robert and Eloy Jimenez at some point be mentioned uh, Acuna is is awesome, even though he couldn't be there. Trout, obviously, but the exciting thing is you have personality. Like guys like Tim Anderson or Guerrero, they can be themselves. Tatis, they're they're not punished for it. And I think that to to your guys' point, um, the NBA 
has that flair. The NFL is getting more, uh, I guess, accepting with their end zone celebrations. So to attract the younger audience, I love that baseball has these very exciting stars because as a huge baseball fan, you need the next generation to support the game or else it's going to die out. So um, I, I think it's in really good hands. Yeah, I, I I'll add a thought on the uniforms. I thought the game itself was it was it was good. It was fine. I don't think it was overly memorable, but you know, well played. And I think that's the big differentiator. Adam kind of mentioned it as his favorite All Star game. The players are trying. No one is you know kind of jogging more than they would in a regular game. They're trying to make those tough throws. They're still pitching 100 miles an hour. It's very different than the other All Star games, which is great. And I think even while to your point and, and others about the personality, putting everyone in the same jersey, that is eliminating personality. That's mm-hmm. you know the homo homogeneous nature of everyone wearing the same thing. Yep. And I think it's a separate issue that the jerseys this year were hideous. I don't even think they said AL and NL on them, which was it's like I don't know how they designed those, but the bigger issue I'm just not optimistic that it's going to go back. From everything I've read is it's built into the new Nike contract that they get to showcase their uniforms during the game. So unless Nike has a change of heart or, I guess, MLB, if there was enough backlash, they're going to keep doing it this way. I think, you know, you mentioned for next year they're going to do it again in L.A. and they're designing the jerseys. And I I agree with you guys. To see the players lined up in their individual home whites and the road grays and the you know the different shades of white or the cream that the the Giants wear, it's it's just a unique look and it's something you can do on a baseball field that you really can't in other sports. So I think we're in agreement. They've gotten, you know, pretty heavily criticized by mainstream media. I don't know if it's gonna be enough to change opinions, but I guess we can hope and we'll we have about a year to to see if anything changes so i think with that we'll move on to uh kind of a brief look at mlb at, in mid-season i know we're gonna probably move to final thoughts in about 10 minutes but um you know we did want to mention that there was a an outbreak today the yankees i think had six players test positive they the only game on the schedule for tonight against the red sox was postponed it seems probably a good chance tomorrow's game will be postponed as well some players were vaccinated others weren't there's a lot of question it sounds like judge may have you know tested positive and was positive at the all-star game so there's a lot that's still probably gonna come out very unfortunate um but i think we can probably skip over that for now and and kind of take a look back at the first half adam as you kind of uh you know maybe reassess or or, or take a step back from the day in day out baseball what what kind of stood out to you as the biggest surprise and i think for the most part we can leave the giants out i mean we can talk about the giants sure. but yeah they're probably everyone's biggest surprise with the best record in baseball so i'll give a i'll give a player and then a, a team that positively surprised me and a team that negatively real quick so player <clears throat> not to you know kick the same drum but um i mean otani like I mean, the guy has just been unbelievable, um, historic in every sense of the word. Um, I mean, the winning pitcher in the All-Star game, a great showing in the home run derby, and then leading off in the All-Star game. Um, I mean, I think the season he's put up is beyond what anyone in the majors could have imagined. And I think if we knew how good he'd be at both hitting and pitching, I mean, imagine the contract he would have gotten. So I think... Uh, he's been by far the most impressive, surprising uh, storyline from the first half. Um, the Red Sox have really surprised me, given that it kind of seemed like they were punting on the season, if you will. I mean, they, they were 
certainly not buyers in the offseason. And I thought that in a very strong American League East that they would struggle to you know be over 500. And here they are 19 games over. And then I think the biggest surprise um, disappointment to me has got to be the Atlanta Braves, who are a game under 500 going into the break. Um, I thought that they were the clear favorites out east, and obviously with Acuna now out for the season, you know they have their work cut out for them. But I thought the Braves were um, clearly the best team in the NL East, and they have just not performed up to par this season. Get, they've had some injuries, but but even so, um, they're they're much better than their record would indicate. Mike Weil, what is uh, your biggest surprise? And if you have a disappointment, go for that too. So my biggest surprise. I think I got to give kudos to Carlos Rodon. Um, I, I know I talk about the White Sox a lot, but this is very deserved. And the the image that I had of him leaving the White Sox was that of 2020, where he was in the bullpen for game three against the A's in the playoffs and just imploded and the White Sox lost because no pitcher was good. And Rodon had Tommy John. He had several shoulder injuries. He just had this career that was marred by stops and starts and he had flashes of potential he was the third overall pick the best overall pitcher from his draft in 2014 never put it together now flash forward to 2021 and you have a guy who was non-tendered by the White Sox no one else wanted him the White Sox picked him up for three million dollars I didn't think anything of it I wanted Mike Fulton-Evich that just shows how much I know and he is seventh in the league with a 231 ERA. He's ninth in the league with a .96 whip, and he has 130 strikeouts, which is tied for eighth in the league. So you have a ace who has been carrying the White Sox along with Lance Lynn. Um, so just major shout-out to Carlos Rodon. He's going to get paid. I want the White Sox to re-sign him because, frankly, he looks like he'll be more consistent than Giolito going into the future. But it just that that is by far i did not see this coming and i thought he deserved to start the all-star game him or lance lynn because objectively the numbers were much better than otani i understand why otani started because you wanted that storyline where he started and let off so i get it but objectively lynn and rodan have been the two best pitchers at least statistics wise in the american league this year and that's largely why the white Sox, with all of their injuries are 19 over 500 the best record in the american league as far as my biggest disappointment again not to be biased to the al central but i'm I, i'm gonna say it it's the minnesota twins i mean you, you look at the expectations for the minnesota twins they were projected to if not win the division be very close neck and neck with the white Sox. um the white Sox lose grandal jimenez um they they lose robert madrigal etc they've lost a ton of their guys and the Twins are in fourth place at, like, 14 games under. So, to me, they're by far the biggest disappointment. Um, and, Adam, I guess I'll, I'll go to you. Yeah, unfortunately, I, I, I got to jump. Um, but I did just want to give a quick final thought um, because it's, it's timely right now. The Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim uh, had a no-hitter this week. And you may be wondering, well, how did they have a no-hitter? There, there were no games. It was just the All-Star game. Well... There was the MLB draft, and the Angels <laughs> drafted all pitchers. I believe they had 20 draft picks, and every single one of them was a pitcher. Now, I get the idea of, okay, 
we've got to surround Trout and Otani with some other pitchers because that's been our Achilles heel these past few years. But I think to go all pitchers, not a single hitter, is, is probably a little bit reckless, actually, I would argue, because you still got to build a farm system. And But um, I thought that was great. I've never seen anything like that before. So the Angels drafted a no-hitter um, with all pitchers in this year's MLB draft. Well, by the time they're ready, I, I don't know that Trout and Otani will still be around, but or at least not in their prime. But that's that's really interesting. Did the did the uh, scouts or anyone comment on the thought process? I, I don't there? know, but I that that's that's tough to defend. I, I I feel like they're just like, all right, if we take twenty pitchers, two of them have got to pan out in the major leagues, right? So I don't know. Seems a little crazy to me. Pretty but, interesting. Yeah. Well, I know you got to run, so you all have right. a good uh, final thought there, and we'll catch you next time. All right, thanks, guys. All right, so we'll continue the discussion on surprises and disappointments. Um, Mike Mandel, what stood out for you in the first half? Well, well, first off, uh, I'd have to give my kudos to the uh, the second generation of players. Vladdy Jr. has just been an absolute monster this season. Um, I guess it's his third season, although you know we've really only seen his two full seasons. Uh, he was somewhat forgettable last year in the shortened pandemic season, but he, he's been a flat-out monster for the uh, for the Blue Jays, who, you know, it's going to be tough given the division that they're competing in, but he's keeping him in it right now. He's the league leader in RBIs, um, second in homers to Otani, league leader in batting average. I mean, he actually has a shot at the triple crown this season. I think it's going to be tough to pass Otani in homers, but um, I don't even remember when the last time somebody won a triple crown was. And... He has a chance to do it. Um, even his father didn't accomplish that feat. I know his father um, generally had more speed, but um, you know, balancing power and and contact, I think uh, I think Junior's got it all. Um, so very impressive, um, especially given that I think a lot of the focus had been on Tatis as, as the uh, the second generation player people were most looking at um, at the beginning of the season. Um, so so, so Vladdy's been. Terrific. Um, as far as teams go, um, I'll say that the the Reds, um, especially given after they um, they had traded Trevor Bauer, I, I figured that, and they were somewhat competitive last season, that um, you were going to see a pretty big fall off this season, that they wouldn't be competitive. But um, they're second in the NL Central and very much still in the race. I mean, um, Nick Castellanos has been terrific. Um, as has Jesse Winker. He's been a good power hitter. And a couple of their starting pitchers, both uh, both Miley and Mal, have been have been stellar. Um, and it seems like they, I, I don't remember off the top of my head what their record was at the end of last season, but they're doing at least as good, if not better, than they were last season um, without Bauer, who I know we'll probably discuss later has been, um, I'd say, a, a bit of a distraction for, for his new team, the Dodgers. Um as far as disappointments go, well, first I'll make one quick point. Um, I called the Twins being a bust this season, at the beginning of the season, and I, I was right about that. So, um, I think they started 5-2, and two, if I read correctly. Since then, it's been all downhill. Basically. But I uh, I can't quite call I them a dis- your I give you your credit, because I do remember <laughs> that, and I said, I hope you're right, and it looks like you're right. Yeah, I mean, that's... Uh, that, that that is what it seems right now. So uh, I, I can't exactly um, I, I can't call that a disappointment because I, I expected it. Um, you know, I wouldn't say besides them there are any 
huge surprises. Um, what I will say is, is for the Royals, who, who had a hot start to the season, it is a bit of a shame to see how 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 fast and how far they've fallen since then. I didn't expect them to to really be competing um, with the White Sox for the division, but I also didn't think they would sink to dead last by the time the midway point came through. Yeah, and I'll give a couple of uh, maybe one of each. I think you know we touched upon a lot of the biggest surprises: the Red Sox, obviously the Giants, just outperforming everyone. Cincinnati, I think to your point, Mike, especially of late, they're nine and three in July, so they've really um, come on strong. Also, I want to mention the Milwaukee Brewers because I didn't mention a team. Ian, were you going to say them? I wasn't, but they're a good, you know, fifty-three so I, and nine. I mentioned Rodon as my surprise, but team-wise, the Brewers, uh, Corbin Burns Brewers are... and and Woodruff have been fantastic, and and Peralta. Like they got three horses in the front of their and rotation. Twenty twenty ninth in batting average, so it's all yeah. all pitching for them. They've been, and you don't often see that with the blue with the Brewers. So the one other team I I did want to mention, and I it pains me to say it, but the Astros. I think we none of us expected them to be. I don't think at this level, you know. They're 19 games over 500. I think we'd all thought they'd be maybe fighting the A's for a first place, um, you know, position. But they've they have a biggest run differential, and I think all of baseball at a plus 136 by a lot. Or I should say the Dodgers have 142, but second in second in baseball behind the Dodgers, and they've just been been on a roll. The Yankees should have swept them going into the break, but uh, they're. They've just been, especially their hitters. I mean, they they have a farm system. They have guys when guys are injured. It's it's really, I don't know. Unfortunately, they're not getting, uh, you know, their hand slap didn't even get that far with what happened a few years ago. And I guess you left it for me. But to me, one of the biggest, if not the biggest disappointments is the Yankees. I mean, they were the odds on favorite to go to the World Series. I think the, the White Sox were number two. But the Yankees, everyone thought was going to get we're going to get to at least the ALCS and they've been treading water really just above 500. And what makes it even worse is they haven't even had that many injuries. The team's been relatively healthy. Uh, Players are just underperforming. And to my dismay, they're not doing anything about it. There's, they're not shaking up the team. They're not firing the manager. They're not cleaning house in the front office. It's kind of status quo and they're kind of finding new ways to lose I, I have not seen this in my lifetime of, of <laughs> these blown leads and not hitting and just, you know, all time losses. It's almost like once a week of late. So it's been pretty bad. Chapman, who started the season, I think his best numbers ever unhittable has been brutal. The last probably four weeks removed from the closer role. So it's been quite a down season for the Yankees. And it's going to you know honestly be tough to, to overcome the, the slow first half because Boston and Tampa are both having great years. So um, I guess we'll keep an eye on that. But the one other disappointment, a team that I don't know that we often talk about, but I think they're worth at least mentioning their futility, Arizona. They are 40 games under 500. You can remind me what exactly their losing streak was. I think they hadn't won a road game in like, like months, whatever it was. It was like an all-time record. It's just unbelievable for a team in any sport, really, but especially in baseball where, you know, even the best teams usually only win two out of three in a series. And even that is like, you know, 667 win percentage to have this level of futility. Like, I didn't think the the 
Diamondbacks were that terrible, but I guess, I don't know if it's more their pitching, which I think it probably is. Um, it's just extremely uh, embarrassing the way they've played. So um, I think we will table the rest of our discussions till when Adam's back. Um, I know well, the Bauer situation, there'll probably be more to discuss in the future and some of these rule changes that have been uh, hinted at. I'm sure we'll have plenty of time to discuss that as the CBA is up um, this off season. So lots more baseball to come, especially with the NBA wrapping up. So I think with that, we'll move on to our final, final thoughts, keep it to uh, about an hour show this evening. Mike, why don't you lead us off? Mike, you're on mute. Happy to do so. Sorry about that. I didn't even realize I was on mute. Um, so my final thought is after 16 Amazing seasons. Duncan Keith, the greatest defenseman in Chicago Blackhawks history, was traded to the Edmonton Oilers so he could be closer to his son. Duncan Keith, to me, epitomizes the the turnaround of the Blackhawks franchise. He was the rock upon which Patrick Kane and, and Jonathan Taves were able to show their offensive skills. He started in 2005, which was probably the the lowest point for the Blackhawks in franchise history. They were drawing nobody. Bill Wirtz, who is notoriously cheap, still didn't put home games on TV. They were probably drawing like 5,000 a game. I went to several games. They would turn the lights off during intermission to save money. It was it was horrible. And Duncan Keith led the charge along with Brent Seabrook. He won three Stanley Cups, scored the game-winning goal in 2015 against the Tampa Bay Lightning. He was a four-time All-Star two-time NHL first-team member. He won the Conn Smythe Trophy in 2015 and won the Norris Trophy twice in 2010 and 2014, and he was a gold medalist in 2010 and 2014. He is also one of the 100 greatest NHL players of all time. So you can't have a better career as a defenseman, or or you'd be hard-pressed to have a better career than Duncan Keith. And as soon as he retires, he's going to get his number in the rafters at the United center, his number two will, will be there without question, a hundred percent certainty. So he made a fantastic speech at the 2013 championship rally. He's a big Braveheart fan. I, I urge you to listen, but to quote him, he lived many days as a lion, even though he said it's his, his quote was you can live it's better to live one day as a lion than a hundred days as a lamb. And he lived many days as a lion on the Blackhawks blue line. So shout out to Duncan Keith. Thank you for the amazing memories. Nice tribute. Mike Mandel. Yeah. So first off real quickly um, about the diamondbacks, Um, obviously, as you said, abysmal record, but I'll say I'm not quite that surprised because if you have a division with that much firepower with three teams who are absolutely shredded, Somebody's got to be the loser, right? Someone's got to be the punching bag. Um, so I can't say I'm quite as surprised, um, similar to the Orioles and the um, the Alleys. But you know, my final thought, um, after the Sixers' disappointing early exit from the playoffs, um, there has been another round of debate and discussion about Philly fans being too harsh. Um, both Danny Green and Dwight Howard had alluded to such, um, thought that we were too rough on Ben Simmons in particular. Um, and... Who comes to the rescue, or, or to, to our defense? None other than Mike Vick, who notably, when he had uh, 
left the Eagles after his four-year stint, um, took out an op-ed in the uh, Philly Inquirer, and I think the, the biggest quote was, people say Philly fans are tough, I say they're fair. Um, and you, you saw pieces of that in his most recent comments. I mean, he, he went onto a, a podcast and um, basically was saying, listen, um, we have high expectations, but um, if you could come out and play for us, fans are going to love you. And th- th- that's exactly what we're looking for in this city. And, and we're talking about a guy who didn't win a championship for us, didn't even win a single playoff game. And... Yeah, he spent some time in prison for dogfighting, but we love him. You ask almost any Eagles fan, we love Mike Vick because he put in 110% every game, was always great in the locker room, was always a leader, you know, and always stuck with the fans. You know, that, that that's what we expect. We, we don't expect perfection. We know that's not possible, um, but we do expect that you're not going to pass up an easy layoff, easy layup. You're not going to miss practice. You're not going to be a locker room cancer. Um, that you're simply going to show the fans what they came to see. Um, you do that, then Mike is absolutely right. We, we are, maybe we're tough, but we're fair. And um, I, I, I was very glad to hear from him again. All right, and my final thought is, uh, I guess, pandemic-related and specific to announcers and I don't know if this is the trend in all of baseball with local teams, but at least with the Yankees, and I think the Mets, the team announcers are not yet traveling with their teams to the games on the road. Yeah, and the TV announcers, yeah. It's, uh, well, for the Yankees, it's radio as well. Oh, so, it is? Oh. Yeah, I don't, and John Sterling, as you guys probably know, he's in his, you know, he's about 81 years old. He's trying to call a game off a monitor. It's, it's, he's had a lot of mistakes, and it's, it's just at a point now where, if you're going to open the stadiums up to 100%, not require vaccines, you have to have the announcers travel with the team. They're not even sitting with the fans. They're in a private booth. It, they add, you know, we've all done announcing in our day. To be at the game, it's night and day, then calling it off a monitor. It's It's got to be a money issue, but I just don't understand it when there's millions of dollars in all these sports and there's so much money to, to pay for travel for the announcers and a small crew. doesn't seem like it'll be that substantial they've been doing it forever for you know the existence of the sport the team uh play-by-play or the team tv and radio teams have always traveled so i just hope that that changes i know you know the pandemic is we'll see what happens with the variant and all that but if you're going to have the stadiums open the announcer should be at the ballparks um you know they're outside too and i know the nba has done a good job of getting their announcers back to being courtside and that's really made a difference you get a big sense of the atmosphere that you don't when it's a remote broadcast so uh, hopefully there'll be some good news on that front in the second half of the season so on that note we will round out another episode of the sports cafe thank you to adam rosen who had to run a bit early tonight and to mike weil and his uh brand new apartment congratulations on on the move and being all settled yeah Yeah, i'm I'm sorry i missed a couple weeks but it's uh you guys should come visit and uh, i'm glad the internet works here well enough the the important amenities internet and exactly electricity and all that so looking forward to coming back very good and mike mandel thanks again for being with us tonight my name's ian gus uh host for this week we will be back hopefully next week and uh, we have olympics in our future so some fun discussion there 
for now. So long and see you next time.